Mayday, the Handmaid's Tale podcast proudly presents Hardcore Lady Quotes. Quotes of inspiration, empowerment, and rebellion, chosen, recorded, and read by my kid. Show me what makes you a misfit, and I will show you what makes you necessary. Jenny Lawson. Welcome back to Mayday, the Handmaid's Tale podcast. We are here with episode six of the show. So we are joined. We have a special guest today. Um, would you like to introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Sarah, and I'm just a big fan of the book and the podcast and the show. And when I heard episode one, it was it was the same thing for me as it was for Justin. I just had a lot of things to say about it, and I had to get it out. So that's where I am. And you took copious amounts of notes, which I, I did. find awesome. <laughs> yes. Because usually I'm the one taking all of the notes, and I did not take many notes this week. So I'm... you should uh, make up for that. Very excited to talk about these things. So, uh, overall opinions on this episode? So happy to see more of Serena Joy's backstory. A little different backstory, though, right? A uh, little different. Yeah. Same themes, but yeah, less less crazy. Um, it took it in this this TV show direction where I felt like I now I understand where they're going to go with it and how it's possible to extend it across multiple seasons because we are going to get from the viewpoint. That's the first time we've gotten from the viewpoint of another character. So to see that go into her backstory and see her be, I think, more nuanced than we've seen yet, it just gives it a lot of room to grow over future episodes and seasons. And as with all the other editions outside of the book, I liked where it was going. I felt that it was kind of heartbreaking, of course, to see Serena's involvement and how everything came to be, but I liked to see it and I felt that it was a cool addition. I can't decide. I can't decide if I'm into them making them people. Really? I really just want to hate them both. Oh, man. I loved it. I loved it. And I, was, I, want I, the was... Ser- I want the Serena Joy backstory because it is pretty great. At least it, it is in the book. Mm-hmm. This was, like I said, slightly different, but... It was a young... It, you know, it's a younger interpretation of that character, too, yeah. which makes a big difference. She's got to be less Tammy Faye mm-hmm. in right. order to be this age. Right. Um, and, given and like, they're... also, I feel like they've made her a lot smarter in the show. It's not so much about her appearance. I mean, she, if she's selling yeah. two best-selling books and people know yeah. who she yeah, is because of her well, ideas, she's that's got a great range. Right. She's less yeah. uh, Tammy Faye on TV, more author, I guess, because the only thing we've known that she's done so far is write a book, correct, in the show? Yeah, and she, they also, I feel like they made it pretty clear that she was really, like, steering her husband in the before. You know, she was she was the reason he was still doing all those things and making progress and, you know, making headway in their mission, air quotes. Because it, it seemed like it seems like he would have fallen off the bandwagon without her. Yeah, he does seem kind of... Uh, Flaky. Yeah, like he needs a rudder, yeah, for sure. For Someone sure. to keep pushing <laughs> I him. I think he needs a coach. Looks very discouraged, you know, like... The other guys in the group, they don't want to do what they I want to They want to go bomb the place, but I don't know if I want to bomb the place. <laughs> this won't listen to me. Well, and he gives her those weepy looks, too. If you'll yeah. notice in the show, he kind of looks at her like, oh. Well, did he do reverse Christian Bale Batman voice this week? I don't remember. Did he do Super Soft Talk? Yeah, in the, in the study still. Yeah. It's the worst. Anyway, it drives me insane. Um, so, yeah, that was good. Uh, Nick? Again? <laughs> For 10 seconds. 10 seconds of Nick, you get what you get. Um, yeah, we'll talk about the ending scene, which I had to pause and rewind to make sure he actually said what he said at the end in the way he said it, which I'll be honest was a very typical man response for it. When he says, do you want a glass of water after she's gone on like this 
three minute long rant about yeah. that not being her name and how she's angry at herself for telling the woman that she was happy. Let and me, he's like, let me fix you with the beverage. Give you some water. I was like, what? Wait a minute. Well, that's what he did in the limo thing. He was like, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's a sorry, that. not sorry Pat. thing, right? Right. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Please stop having lady emotions. All right, go, go I don't back know what to do with this. Room. We really open up with them at the wall, cleaning the wall, because we learn there are politicians coming in. We learn from Mexico. And so the wall's got to be spick and span. Can't have all that person it's blood like on there. Do, they didn't do a great job. No, that I was, noticed no. that too. Bloody. It looked Still exactly the same as it did before. Yeah, that, that was the one complaint I did have. I was like, at the end, I was like, "Still lots of blood." <laughs> Why is there right there in that region? There. Cascading down as yeah, you pour the water. Nice. Yeah, Janine was uh, Janine, very Janine. <laughs> <laughs> no, but she did say that interesting thing where she was yes. like, "Once you get used to something a certain mm-hmm. way." Right. That yeah. was very telling about surprising insight from the crazy lady. Right. Well, yeah. hey, she's like a evil gene or mad genius or mad something. Genius. Like she's the I one eye like uh, knows all. <laughs> the one eye. We saw another one eyed one this week. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So we saw one oh, with no hand. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One that and clearly all, had scars yeah, on her neck and her face. Yeah, a couple of them had some face and neck scars. So the, the damaged bruised, ones, you know, bruised the bruised apples. Oh. Talk about that. Oh. That's crazy. So yeah, she is uh, fantasizing that her and uh, she said it's not fantasizing because it happened. Yeah. So she's just remembering remembering as she's scrubbing the bloody wall uh, about her and Nick having sex, and she is on top like she likes to be. Go her. Yeah, go her. And uh, I do believe there's some scorekeeping going on. Uh, Three for her, two for him. (laughs) Or no, two for him, three, almost three. She's doing mental math. She's tied. No, two and a quarter. I don't know. Does it count? Like, is there any like if it doesn't happen, does it not count as any percentage of one? Why would it count if it didn't happen? That's what I'm asking. Like, if you almost have one, does Uh, it count as part of one? No, no. Got to be all or nothing. Would it count for you if you almost had an orgasm? No, not at all. (laughs) But I'm also not a female, so I don't know how that. Assume it's the same. Okay, just think about how bad it would suck if you were at an almost. Yeah. Oh, I know how much it sucks. It's the same. Almost has happened. There was some interesting color stuff going on in this series where they just I feel like that's the only reason this scene existed. For the color. color. Yeah. Yeah. Because at the end they have, again, hailing, you know, getting Stanley Kubrick back from the grave. The uh, waterfall down the steps of blood. Uh, Yeah. I I couldn't tell if I thought maybe it was it was a little overhanded or heavy handed with the with the eyes zoom in and then it goes to the to the river and it's very, very blue and then you get this red and the gray. Um, I'm not sure what I thought about that. I felt like the whole time I was watching that scene, I was like, why Why isn't the Martha's doing this? Well, and this is the whole uh, opening thing for Hulu, too. Like, they needed uh, something yes. really vibrant. Yeah, it's, and, yeah the Hulu opening It's one of their most popular stills of the show as yeah. well that's been really effective for... So you kind of got to do that as a... For showmaker. Visual art reason. Right? Showmaker. Whatever the word is. Got to have somewhere to put your copy. You need some, some space on the sides. It's true. So we do learn, I guess, that we find out, did they say that it's Mexicans, or we not find out that it's Mexicans until I'm, later on? I don't remember. Uh, I'm almost positive that they said Mexican, because I remember thinking it in my head, but I don't know. I think they were talking about um, negotiating for trade with the Mexicans right. in prior episodes. Yes, and they, I thought somebody mentioned it at the wall, but I don't honestly remember. Um, but this bathtub scene was the next scene. And I guess you get the impression that she's about to masturbate. I don't know. Maybe that was just me. Yeah, and the guy's yeah no. That's, you know, I don't yeah, like to assume that was things. happening. Yeah, that, that was for real. That was for real happening? Okay. I can't, I can't, but of course, I can't because... I can't imagine that was the first time. Yeah. 
Of course, because it's Gilead, she gets interrupted by somebody. Right. <laughs> that gets ruined too. Everything is ruined. I did in love Gilead. her when when the Martha comes and says that um, Serena Joy wants to see you. She's like, awesome. Yeah. <laughs> and there was a little smile. Yeah, and there was a I little smile. That. Their yeah, first Martha bonding smile. moment. That I was think. like, good for you. You still got a sense of humor in there. That is awesome. I miss that. Yeah, the Rita. That was the, kind of the first time that we've seen her not be kind of on. Yeah. I also really needed the reminder that this is now. Little, those moments help me remember oh, and stay the, in the, awesome. We're not now. in Puritan times. Yes, yeah. that we are not in Puritanical era history. And Reminder that mm-hmm. it's the present Every day. Every time I'm like, oh, Or at least yeah, yeah, close to our present day. Uh, so the next scene we get here is, because the, the reason she gets interrupted in the bathtub is because uh, Mrs. Waterford wants to see her. For some reason, we don't really know why. She gets to the bedroom and there is no Mrs. Waterford. So she's kind of examining the bed, which is where they have the ceremony. For the first time, really not having to be uh, involved in the ceremony. So she's just kind of examining the bed and waiting for Mrs. Waterford to come in. I found this whole interaction to be kind of neat because she's a little bolder each time she and Serena Joy interact because of their little deal with Nick and how things have changed between the two of them. And she's like, you know, you, you'll need to be good or, you know, you'll need mm-hmm. to represent the handmaids or this is a really big deal. And she goes, I'll try to be. And it was very like yeah. half threatening. Yeah. Half. Yeah. Opera's gotten very loose you with her. She is. With the way she handles Mrs. Waterford. And I still don't know because she is still like six inches taller than her, and we know it's the heels, and I just don't know if it's on purpose. And I wish somebody like, worked I, with the show. I think it's it on is. purpose. It's too drastic to not. It's be like on the purpose. Charles and Diana. Then, thing. If it wasn't on purpose, every time her sh- her feet aren't in the shot, they would have her in flats because it's really uncomfortable to be in heels that tall. It's it? got. It's got to be. It's got to be. It's right? got to be on purpose. I always imagine that it's uncomfortable to be in heels. Period. You imagine correctly. I do. Imagine yeah, correctly. it's okay. horrible. It's interesting too, given this scene and a later scene, how the wives have this. They still have this uniform, but there is a little bit more of a variety. They do <laughs> at least choose what kind of dress yeah. that they're going to wear. Almost like a shade of tealish blue. I know. Yeah, and there's I different cuts of everything. Yeah, like they can all be wearing. There's an illusion really of choice outfit. for the wives that there yeah, isn't yeah. for the handmaids. Yeah, because later when she's at the big. Uh, I don't know what it's even called. Dinner? I was have. calling it the dinner. Yeah. The dinner? The gala. The gala. It did have a very gala-esque feel to it. So she's in the, uh, she's in like a ball gown, more mm-hmm. or less. It's satiny, mm-hmm. I guess. Is yeah. that what we're going for? Satin? Is that what I'm, yeah. am I doing that right? Yeah, you're thinking of Okay. I'm, you know. I know. I don't know materials. So. We know. <laughs> we know. I'm not woke on materials. <laughs> yes. All right, so there we get this scene that leads to a flashback with Serena Joy on the steps and this is kind of, we've been waiting for this because we wondered, do they have sex and did they have sex ever? Uh, with her and Fred. And this, this is, this where is at times bizarre and disturbing. And, it's the Bible quote off, right? Yeah. With the just back and now, forth of I, the... I wonder if this is how it is like at seminary school. If you, like, <laughs> I have a lot of friends who have been to seminary. Yeah. I've not heard that particular version oh. of the story. Did you I will have to ask them. No, I need to. Okay, it, this it really made me think of this scene. So I sent this article to Justin and Rhea. So our next scene that we have. Ooh, we, I have a comment though on yeah. Serena Joy in the in the copulating scene, if yeah. you will. I was is that what we're calling it? Was, 
That's what I'm calling that it. That wasn't sex. I, I can't. That's the thing. I can't call it sex when you're yeah, when you're bibling at each that. other. I can't. Yeah. I say as a person of faith Bible myself, very different faith. Uh, but she's wearing this pink suit that I'm wondering is like a Jackie O reference. Yeah, and this kind of her... woman behind the man, mm-hmm. you know, image icon. Yeah. Uh, I just was interested in this idea of that she's part of his image, but then it starts to break down that she has less and less power and less and less actual things well, that she's allowed to say as it goes further. And he's way more concerned about that than she is. For sure. Which is crazy. Sarah, you got any notes? Uh, I just said flashback showed weird Bible quoting. Is it funny when you're on notes back? Well, this is 11 o'clock last night after I'd gone to see Guardians of the Galaxy and wow. I was trying to squeeze it in. Um, but no, my next, my next notes aren't until the saving them for, from doing God's work. No, so the next scene we got after the, uh, copulating, is that what we're referring it to? <laughs> yes. Flashback. Uh, yes. we do have owning her, that word choice. her and Fred discussing the Mexican contingency who are coming to the house that night and he appears very nervous and she is kind of trying to give him a little confidence and saying they should be the ones that are nervous because you are a powerful commander and let them be nervous. Yeah, and he does a, not appear to be buying coach. it. She is. She's a good coach. Which once again plays into the fact that she is kind of the one that has gotten him this far. Woman it seems. Behind the, man. the woman behind the man. She's his anti-Michelle Obama. That's very true. Very. I'm just trying to think, is she the Melania? But I just can't go there. So I don't. I don't think that's where we are. Mm-mm. No. But then we get we get some hand flirting with uh, with Nick and, and which was yeah. which was right which is bizarre because again. It's a thing I don't think would happen. Because they're like... Awfully bold. Awfully bold. We get awfully bold in several places in this Um, episode. And Nick, I just can't stop being angry at for wanting it all. You know, like this image of the woman who wants it all, which is apparently working and having a child. But for Nick having it all, it's, it's, you know, being an I and getting to have sex with your handmaid. And I just... it, It makes me angry. I was a little surprised here that they didn't have an aunt in here giving her specific training on what she was supposed to say. Like, they really put a lot of trust that she would... I thought the same thing. Obviously, she's in fear, physical fear for her own safety, then she's not going to say anything totally, you know, rebellious. But they, you would think they would have a party line that they would want to feed through her, and really, they just kind of yeah, throw her to the wolves. Yeah, they didn't prepare her really at all, other than to really a kind of broad scope, don't mess it up. I, I like, know you'll be good. I felt like in the in the room... The uh, Mexican delegation was asking more deep questions than they were expecting. I was just going to say. How and could, so I think they were caught off guard a little bit by that. How could they have expected the woman to go up to her and say, are you happy? I mean, yeah. that is a pretty... I think any of us would have expected that. Right. But like when you're the Kool-Aid drinker... Well, and in the moment, the, it's totally... It seems almost irrelevant because this is kind of a powerful deal among dignitaries. And then she comes up to her and goes, are you happy? As though... She would tell the truth in right. that situation anyway. So yeah. I think she was just looking for her to say, I'm happy, so that she could she feel better about her own yeah. decision. Yeah, totally. So, you know, totally. I don't think make, they could have prepared offered yeah. for that because that's probably not something that happens. Yeah, and that just makes it more frustrating towards the end where she then it ends up not mattering because they yeah. don't have children wherever she comes from and yeah. like did any of this matter anyway it was yeah. all predetermined like was she just doing the questions i don't know yeah, yeah. well the, the delegation didn't know that they were they were going to reveal all the children at the end like right. that was a surprise for them yeah the parade of gilead children yeah, yeah. i did not see that coming i was watching i was like oh that 
was it was brilliant and heartbreaking it was yeah it was it changed everything and you could see like the the hearts in everyone's eyes i mean that solidified everything they could have done nothing else except that and then yeah, that parade, would've... The, parade the product of the society that you've built and showing the in product and well and you everything know, else seems to go away you later know how desperate they are for children so how could they have gone well, it's, wrong? Well, once again, this show with the writing kind of giving you hope and then Yanking ripping it away. it away from you, which seems to be the pattern. So you get, that's why it's like having a baby Rhea came in towards the end. I was just watching the end today because I was busy with everything else this week. And she was standing in the kitchen and I was watching the end and she was <laughs> saying all the stuff. And I was like, I don't know if this is real. I think this is all. Mm. And she's just watching me. <laughs> the body language, which kind of gave me the impression like, is this the Mexican ambassador? Is she ambassador? I don't know if I'm doing that. I think she's the ambassador. I, I said dignitary. I don't uh, know. Dignitary. Is she is either oblivious to body language overall, or it just doesn't matter. <laughs> doesn't I, matter. I think I she's only are. got eyes she's... for this deal and having children back in her country. Mm-hmm. and so Yeah, she's well, just looking for justification. Right? Yeah, and this does kind of answer a previous question, which was we didn't really know what else was happening in the rest of the world. Now, yeah. Mexico obviously being... Connected so to close. the United States, yeah. part of North America, um, makes sense for the birthplace not to stop at the border for no reason. Right. <laughs> so, which but, makes you think that even had she made it into Canada, would that have solved her problems? They're they're the refuge. It's cold that's yeah. where that The cold is. killed the bug. It's it's <laughs> very... like I, I don't think there's not. A, I think there wouldn't not be an epidemic in Canada. I think that but they Justin... just would have allowed women to continue. All right, their current president would be like, "Hey, girl, I'll, I'll cover your pre-existing conditions." Have you seen that meme? <laughs> yeah. yeah, everyone loves <laughs> Justin Trudeau. He'd Just be there, you know. and he'd be like, "No, no, no, we're That's not cool. going to do this to women. They they deserve the best." I am curious about the size of Gilead again because we hear that it's everywhere except Alaska and Hawaii. But then, if this is the head honchos, and I guess this is their capital, it doesn't seem like they have very many handmaids. So I'm, the yeah, scope of what this is within yeah. the realm of Gilead, I'm still not clear on. Even for a capital, it, it does seem weirdly small. And in the in the book, the fact that there were not as many important characters as you would kind of expect, I kind of wrote off as well. They did kill off like half the population yeah. in this war. Like if you were, you know, any type of minority or gay or. Or even Gilead could just at all. Like if the... you were just too willing to not convert, you know, you basically were killed. And it could um, have been just really like the Boston metro area. Yeah, could be but I feel like the way they're playing it in the show is not like that. Yeah. So it does seem weirder. <clears throat> Although maybe most people are those, you know, yeah. militia guys with guns. True. They're going to need a lot more handmaids and a lot more kids. They're gonna <laughs> I was just going to ask, like, be, be some incestual things going Ugh. on here if this is all we've I'm got. Like Cain and Abel situation. That's Ugh. true. Ugh. Hopefully they have a uh, wider variety than what they're showing us. So the next thing we do have the um, them having, I guess, some pre-dinner drinks. Uh, and this is when uh, she asks questions of the wives, mm-hmm. which is kind of interesting. And in that she asks them how they, I guess, how they like being in the society. And they're all like, oh, it's great. It's totally great. And we buy it, which we don't really because, again, we can see body language and apparently the Mexican ambassador can't mm. or won't. And they talk about Serena Joy and she mentions her book and asks her if, how she feels about being in a society like this to which she just starts spouting off about carbon emissions being reduced by 78%. Yeah, that was a new yeah, but one. It, but it was good. She was 
politically right. yeah. good. Like she, she was. saved that. Oh, sure. She was. And I think it's really ironic that the first meeting that the any wives get to be in and take part of, she totally saves them. And the end, she starts to falter. That question about yeah. how do you feel about because there's no good answer to this question. Right. How do you feel about being in a society where women can't, can't read, read your book? book. Yeah. yeah. And then she starts to hesitate because there's yeah. no good response to that question. How does she respond again? Does she say, like, it's a small sacrifice to repopulate? Yes. The well, it's the Lord, remember? Oh, right. The oh, Lord yeah. <laughs> requires a sacrifice. It also goes back to her husband's position that better never means better for everyone. And so you wonder if she's internalized this, you know, this won't be better for me, but it will be better for the earth or well, yeah. for my family. It's it's clearly not better for To some extent, her. just for the wives to survive in that situation, they have to do a lot of self-convincing mm-hmm just to be able to function and live their lives and not be so depressed they kill themselves because it's you have to you have to convince yourself that it's the right thing to do. But what are your options? You don't have any, right? that's why. What happens yeah. if you're a wife that doesn't buy it and they send you to the colonies or make you a handmaid? I just really don't know. I guess well, we're, make your I guess we're to assume that everybody hard, bought in. Yeah. Well almost that the kind of men who would succeed in this kind of endeavor would marry the women who would go along with it, right? Yeah. I'm sure that's true, yeah. And like you said, maybe she's telling herself in the future, it'll all come back and everything will be okay again once we repopulate and everything's fine. Uh, then we'll read again and everything will go be nope. better. Again, it's a Phyllis Schlafly reference, right? right? You shouldn't work outside the home except for me because I need yeah, you is. to get you this message across. Yeah, she does get very more Phyllis Schlafly-esque every week. That's kind of more where I thought that they were headed with her character. You know what gets me is seeing her hair down. And even just the symbolism of like the freedom, the yes. freedom of having a different hairstyle, and, and it, it makes them feel so much younger. It does, instead of in that quaffed like. I noticed that immediately. So the next scene we have is, I do love this. Like they try. I always love when they can't really get them to do anything else with their hair, but they style it slightly differently, especially for him, to make him look try and make it look younger. Yeah, and give him like the sport coat and the open. Sure. He's pretty trendy there, yeah. Yeah. This so. is a cool scene because he's like, no, I'm tired. And she was like, well. I wasn't asking. And you're like, oh, she used to have some pull in this relationship. So then we have the bar scene here where they do make a... Oh, no, this is not the bar. This is outside of the, the movie, movie theater. The movie theater killed me. And like, they make this point the of showing all these people... <laughs> like, I think this is a little over the top. Like, hey, there was a cell phone. Do you remember cell phones? <laughs> hey, people had, had crazy hair. Tattoos. Look at all this stuff. Look at all the things you don't see anymore. Tattoos and yeah. exposed arms on women. Right, exactly. And we're swiftly approaching in this scene the one thing that I think speaks to the times, but I also don't know is entirely realistic. When he gets the phone call and he's like, it's happening. And I'm like, we're in the fourth row of a movie theater. <laughs> and then you're just like, no, no, that's fine. If you just end it with, it's happening, like we planned. But then he goes on, and there's a lady <laughs> sitting next to him. Like, if you're that lady, and I know, like, in these days, it's supposed to be modern day, and it's supposed to be now, so you do hear people saying all kinds of crazy stuff when they're on their cell phones or when they're talking, and you're just like, I guess you just write it off. It doesn't as, seem like a secure network either, right? Like, yeah. your Go plan is texted to you, and it just <laughs> <Right>. sounds like... <laughs> Yeah, I hope they have like some kind of secure cell phone service. BTW, the strikes are happening now. <laughs> <laughs> LOL. So, yeah, so, yeah, we do. Uh, <laughs> as seemingly unrealistic as the execution is here, we at least get the how we, you know the plan came to be and how it's going to be executed. Three separate strikes: one on the Congress, then the president, and then the courts. Which 
I would think after one of those, this is my other issue, like, after one strike where they take out Congress, I'm thinking everybody's in bunkers. a bunker for a long time. Bunkers. Yeah. Because, I imagined it to be simultaneous. But he said three separate, but maybe, okay, maybe, maybe I'm, inter- it's like one, maybe two, I'm interpreting three. that. Okay, maybe I'm interpreting that as three separate at three different times, but I guess you're interpreting it as three separate strikes at the same I time. I assumed it yes. was the same time. I okay. assumed it was that. That would make more sense. You can't have one. I was just going literally separate. Although, like, again, kill Congress. Not the greatest planners. Yeah. How react five days later? <laughs> President, boom. You're fine. All right, all right. It didn't seem like that very much. Just hang out. Courts. <laughs> All right, we win. I don't no. think that's how it would go. Okay, that makes more sense than what was in my head. In the movie theater, too, you get the sense, first of all, that we now understand just how high up he was, right? That he was not, he was he was part of orchestrating the whole deal, but also that he's really conflicted and seems really, um, lack of confidence is maybe a generous way to describe him, yeah. but weak comes to mind that he just is yeah. sitting there looking very worried seems about it. a little it. bit pansy-ish. Yes, pansy-ish is maybe a better, pansy-ish. better term. Pansy-ish. All right. It's a thing. He does seem very, uh... He does seem to lack a spine. Yes. Um, less so than he, more so than he does now. Now, now yeah. that they're all in control, he seems to be yes. a little more. Well, and don't you think that would be a product of his role? Because when you're in power and you're surrounded by other powerful people, and none of them are women, and women are not allowed to express their opinions, that just becomes your new norm, and so you come to expect it. And you're told you've saved the world. Yeah, right? I mean, even just in that conversation where the other guy comes out in the hallway where Serena Joy was supposed to be talking to them, and he comes out and he's like, "This, well, you know, it's partly our fault. We let them have too much freedom. We should never have let it gotten this far. In the future, it will be better. And, you know, going on about how... They can focus on their... Yeah, so they can focus on their... Birthing. Biological destiny. Biological destiny. <laughs> All right, so our next scene is... Uh... My next frustrating scene, which is Nick, Worthless Nick. I think I'm about to call him Worthless Nick. That's like fair. when I used to watch Downton Abbey, uh, I really hated Mary, so I would call her Worthless Mary. True story. Because my, she was mostly awful. She is show. awful. My mom just got kittens, and the theme of the kittens' names is Forgotten Sisters. And so one of them is named Lady Edith after Downton yeah. Abbey. <laughs> Nobody cared about it. And the other one is named Anne Peggy from Hamilton. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> like, and Peggy and with Peggy. the and. Oh my goodness. It was awesome. She could get another one and name it after the Middle Brady Bunch sister. We're going to need whose to. name I can't recall. She is a forgotten sister. So the big highlight in this scene is they make out in the hallway, which nope. we were just discussing briefly. There's no, Not really no way, happening. right? No. They're in this old creaky house. There's got to be people everywhere. And she just got slammed in the head with a, with a baton. So you would think the physical memory of the punishment would be fresh in her mind. I don't know. Everybody seems to be Lust very is winning the moment. <laughs> Lust is definitely winning the moment for both of them. Oh, well, that kind of dry spell wouldn't Lust win a lot of moments. That's a fair point. This is fair. I'll buy the hand rub. You guys were skeptical. I'll <laughs> buy that, but I will not buy the open hallway makeout. No. Like, oh, yeah. I w- I'd be willing to bet the bath time fun is a regular occurrence, but this is like... <laughs> Too much. Bath yeah, time much. Hey, Rubber ducky. Absolutely. <laughs> This is Scrabble. We don't know what game we're on. Last time we were on game number 34. Oh, yeah, man. I forgot about that. Yeah. She's pretty oh, sullen. Well, I mean, yeah. you, would think you, would, you would think she would have to be a little sullen. And he is in super asshole mode this whole time. Ugh. And, yeah, this is like two, two episodes in a row where you do not like the commander at mm-hmm. all. Maybe he's trying to detach because he knows this trade deal is going to go through and he's going to have to trade her. Ooh. Interesting. Ooh, yeah, that didn't occur to me. That maybe she that. would be one of the ones traded and he knows that. Yeah. 
and you can see things wearing on him, like Justin said, like he seems yeah. more stressed he and does just seem way more haggard. Stressed. And then she has to hard swallow here and come back and like flirt oh, yeah. with him and you I can thought tell that, she's gonna barf. That was that was some great some internal good face. and yeah, some good face acting. Oh yeah, for the the internal battle. She does a lot on. of great face acting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. sure. Of, There's a lot of silent moments here that are because that you are, can only, really say a lot. You can only have certain times where she can really outwardly express them, and it's usually not yeah. in front of anybody else. So they do yeah. have to convey a lot with just facial expressions. Now there's this total like opposite dynamic that there was before of them being comfortable with each other, and now him mm. being very. Uh, I don't even know what the word is here. Somebody give me a word. Yeah, he almost felt, it's creepy. for a short time, he almost felt like an ally. Almost. Yeah, definitely not an ally. And not at all now. Yeah, now it, now he's like a creepy dude at the bar. Yeah, he does say, that's what he does when he's kissing her. He says, like, you mean it. Yeah. Cool. Creepy. Ugh. Total creeper now. He does have a kind of creeper vibe. Not that he wasn't a creeper before as, you know, a regularly timed racist or um rapist it's it's could have been a racist it could have been a racist he was racist in the book there's an um, interesting interesting conversation i got into this regarding the racial situation in uh, gilead really yeah hmm. there was an article written by a woman who writes for the undefeated which is espn's i think I've heard kind of, of yeah. i don't know what you'd call it kind of an offshoot and she wrote about the handmaid's tale and talked about how she did not feel that it was realistic. That she felt like it was depicting a too post-racial society. Yes, that's yeah. 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 Oh, oh yeah. I remember. Good. I don't remember talking to you about it, but I've I've heard that opinion many times, and I do definitely get those feelings. Well, and her her whole point was yeah. usually when things outside stressors like the birth plague, the environmental stuff, and all those things, racial tensions escalate yes. as opposed to getting lower. And, not really mattering much. Yeah. I think what we're supposed to assume is that we're so integrated now that the brothers of Jacob or whatever they were called didn't really have time to worry about the racial aspect of it. And then that just kind of went by the wayside. But the whole point of this article is that that isn't very realistic and that the yeah. racial aspect of it would have gotten worse and would have been probably more like it was in the book mm-hmm. where they shipped everybody off or did if something anything, else. I wonder if there's, look, this is almost representative of what's sometimes called white feminism which is we're going to focus on the problems of white women because that's the what we can do something about because we have more power in that arena um rather than intersectional feminism or black feminism in different kind of ways which is we can't understand gender without understanding race because the experience of a black woman is different than the experience of a white woman Um, and we need to recognize that and, and talk about that and include that in the way that we try to critique society so i think this this is seeming to me almost like this metaphor for we're just going to try to tackle one problem at a time this is going to yeah. be the gender problem yeah, it's yeah. definitely when really it doesn't work like that yeah it's that's not real that's not how real life works and in the beginning of when the show started at first i was really happy to see minorities included partly because i find it really distracting and a, you know just general bummer to not see anybody that looks like me in a show um not that they need to look like me but like just white people gets pretty annoying after a while um i was really excited about that i was like oh cool well i'm glad but as it goes on i keep more and more feeling like i wish they would address why there are minorities there because it doesn't make sense when you think of it that way like either they either they cared about that or they didn't and not commenting on it at all seems odd. I kind of originally went into the show with the assumption that it must have been that fertility just was, was more important 
Right. And like that, that, that was, it'd be that the they were so focused that. on yeah. that. And like, if they had said that, I feel like we wouldn't be having these conversations yeah. about like, they're, it's weird. It's weird how nobody talks about race. Well, you and know? I also find it interesting that, yes, Samara Wiley is on the show and she is an African-American woman, but there's really, aside from a few in the red center here and there, you don't really see any other yeah, you only see minorities really when, like, you see a large group of people right. together, like, all of the handmaids together in the Red Center or during the, um, I forget what they called it, where they killed that man. Um, the salvaging. Yeah, the salvaging. Um, and you see it later in this episode when you see all the handmaids lined up at the before the gala. Um, you see some minorities in that group of handmaids. Well, then I was wondering if they matched them to the wives because you see an African American wife holding holding an African American child. I wonder if they just match it. Oh, you did see an African American. I didn't notice that at all. Yeah, there's an African American wife at the gala holding an African American baby who obviously she did not bear. Right. Um, but yeah, it's. I feel like by not commenting on it, they're making it a problem for the show. When if they had just given an explanation. It yeah. would have been. It would have just. We could have rolled with it more, and it would be less distracting. Yeah, they're kind of half. They're kind of half in on it. Like yeah, there are some of these characters, and there's. That's not a thing. But most of the main cast is white, except for yeah. Moira. But Moira hasn't been seen in basically two and a half episodes. Um, and, and Rita. Well, Rita, yes, correct. Um, but other than that. The vast majority is, and they, you're right, they haven't commented. They don't on it. comment, and even when, like, handmaids are alone with other handmaids, there's no referencing it at all when wives are alone with other wives. And, like, you know, presumably people are speaking a lot more freely in those situations. It's not mentioned and also at the, all. Also, the only wives that we've seen interact with each other so far, aside from what Rhea's saying, the gala tonight, it have all been Caucasian. And yeah. how often do white people talk about race with white people? Right? Not well, all that often. I'm true. not a white person. I don't know. I don't know what it's like when it's just a room full of white people because I make it not a room full of white people. <laughs> so I thought, Sorry. well, <laughs> after I listened to last week's podcast, I thought that maybe they were afraid, like the show's producers were afraid that if they just made a casual mention of it, that it would, that would not do it justice because like you said like with race you can't just be like oh and by the way this is why it's okay that there are black people here in, in a situation where there normally wouldn't be so I, th- I think they probably felt like and I'm not saying this is a good decision I'm yeah. just saying that, like like you said like, they wanted to focus on feminism and so they were like we can't tackle everything yeah well, and, and they okay. really didn't have a choice of they couldn't make it an all white cast because there well, they could been, have other shows well they could that. have but other shows do it all the time they shouldn't have they shouldn't have yeah. And there would have been more of a, I think, uproar about that if there would have gone with that angle of not casting any. Um, yeah, I think so, too. I, I, think, I do think that's interesting what you're saying about um, that they said they didn't want to make it. They didn't want to underserve it by mentioning it and then right. not doing it well. And I think that's really funny because only a room full of privileged white people would get together and say, we should just not talk about it at all because we're going to fuck it up. Well, so let's like just pretend they... it's not a problem because that is very much the way America operates. And as we, you know, we can all, we would all agree, I'm sure, that it doesn't go great. They well, really and... couldn't even get on top of the feminism thing at first, though, no, either, yeah, right? right? So, totally. so if, they're, if they're not even, shall we use the word woke enough to talk in a complex <laughs> way about owning feminism, we can't then think that they're also going to be intersectional about it and really yeah. post-colonial or whatever. The... Well, and like you said, they were like, oh, checked the boxes, yeah. Yeah. got it. African American yeah. check Minor- minority handmaid check well, I, minority Martha check I kept forgetting and racially ambiguous driver check <laughs> Nick 
has really dark hair. Check. <laughs> got olive, olive skin. skin. <laughs> olive skin. We got it. We got olive it. Skin. Olive skin. Olive Put skin. it on the board. People can assume he's minority, or they can assume he's white. He's safe. <laughs> oh, I, and I keep forget, kept forgetting to talk about this for two shows. There was somebody that tweeted out, "I guess all the Asian Americans left before all this happened <laughs> because there haven't been any of them until this show. There's yeah, finally this episode, one." Yeah. And I was like, "Oh, there she is! Yeah. There it is! All right, there is some." And I was like, "Because I read that tweet, and I was like, huh." That's yeah. totally true. Yeah. It has not been at there, all. There could have been some enlarged scenes that we just didn't notice that they were very fair skinned, but yeah, it's definitely been noticeable the dearth of variety. So of post uh, post Scrabble game, she kisses. She does her creepy kiss with the commander, and then she goes and promptly brushes her teeth till they bleed, which is just gross. I think that oh, I don't know. Yeah, I guess you must really feel repulsed. So Aunt Lydia returns this next scene, and we are at the gala at some fancy place, and she is giving the girls a pregame speech. Janine is Janine is psyched up, which you know means what does that always mean? Something bad's gonna happen to Janine because Janine, you can't have it good. Sorry, Uh, Miss Waterford does come in and she wants to ants to line her up, which is kind of you kind of get this like little moment of humanity from Aunt Lydia. She's like, I really got to line them up. You get really? a hierarchy, right? I think there are lots of different hierarchies oh, yeah. in this episode and where Serena Joy takes the power where she can get it. And, uh, and here we, this scene is where we see the handmaids and the first time we hear them referred to as, quote, the damaged ones. I had to rewind this in a creepy way because I, on a couple I was like, what's their damage, Heather? Um, and <laughs> <laughs> it had to come out that way. <laughs> To see the the scarring and such because it wasn't as obvious as missing an eye. And so yeah. then I started contemplating, like, what do you do to get facial scarification? And what, what happened? Yeah, well, it was kind of nice, too, that Janine's the only one, yeah. not the only one with ocular issues. You know, <laughs> at least they dole that out, you know, regularly. Because she's the only one, I think, that we've seen oh, that man. way. And also, this seems like an obvious point, too. Clearly, you don't parade around the eyeless ones, right? This is, this is an idealistic society. Um... Like you said, it was kind of a surprising show of sympathy from Aunt Lydia when she yeah. is forced to pull them out. Like, yeah. that was really unexpected. It's like, oh, you'll cattle prod them, but then they yeah. can't go to a dinner and it makes you sad? I, well, it was kind of like that in the the birth episode as well. I think that was episode two, where yes. she was like, she really cared for Janine in that episode and really understood what seemed to, at least, understand what Janine must be going through. But also, like, she's facilitating all of that, and it's super right, and weird. You see in the scene, Janine gets find out that she doesn't get to go to the party because she's a bruised apple, and they don't get to be on top. What? On top. On top. Oh. <laughs> I, I was going to say that she laughed. Somehow oblivious to my own humor. Uh, there is yeah. something interesting and honorable, I guess, in this idea of they paid their price and it's, it's over, that there are no grudges, that even if you're eyeless, that you're still, you know, in a in good standing, which I don't feel like we got with um, of Glenn, the real of Glenn. There wasn't yeah. that same kind Artist of... formerly known as of Glenn. Now you've paid the price and you're clear. Yeah, and I definitely... I, I was really stricken by the fact that... Um, the aunt seems to have really drank the Kool-Aid and that she is offended because she feels like they all need to be honored when clearly that's not what well, this dinner is about, and maybe that's, obviously. Well, it also reflects on her because it's kind of her job to get them all yeah, that's prepared true. for that's this true. job as handmaids. So when some of her girls like don't get to go yes. in, it kind of, I guess she yeah, does have that mother figure 
aspect to her that she's kind of taken aback and kind yeah. of makes her look bad. It almost yeah. reflects poorly on her that they can't all go in and she feels bad like they're, you know, the one kid that doesn't get to go in. Yeah, your kid that doesn't get invited to the party or something. Now that we have reached the halfway point, I'm going to get us into the interview. I'm going to splice the interview in here. I have an interview with Crystal Martin, who is the program director at Launch Code's program called Coder Girl. And I had an interview with her, and we talked about what they do, doing cool things in the world of tech for girls and women. So we're going to cut to that right now. We'll be back. We are here with Crystal Martin. She is the program director of Coder Girl, this education program with Launch Code. How are you doing today? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing great. It's nice to meet you. So why don't you give us a little background on Launch Code and what it is all about, and we'll get into the rest of it. Yeah, so Launch Code is a nonprofit organization that helps we get jobs in tech, and the way we do that is through apprenticeships. And so a lot of people, you know, someone that has programming skills, whether it be self-taught, they took some classes at school, or they have a computer science degree, or they have no degree at all, um, but they have some skills but just can't get their foot in the door because they don't have three to five years of experience, and they don't have that, like, you know, CS degree. Um, and so we've basically convinced employers that you can take someone on that has some skills and then really train them to be the developer you want them to be on the job. And so we do 90-day apprenticeships where people learn more about the stack that they've been working in on that particular job, and then after 90 days they should be converted to a full-time employee. That's the goal. So now are, um, these, are these people that are already employed or are these people that are looking to get in jobs? There are correct? people who are unemployed. There are people who are currently employed that want to change careers. You know, there's moms rejoining the workforce. There's any number of people. Okay, great. So tell us about the Coder Girl aspect of Launch Code. Yeah, so Coder Girl is the sort of women in tech uh, focus organization and program at Launch Code. And what we do, we have it's a one-year program um, it, where you learn how to code in seven different stacks. And so we have um, seven different learning tracks. We actually just I, added an iOS track. Um, but there's front-end web development, Java, C-sharp, .NET, uh, SQL, data science, user experience. You basically start where you want to start. And we have, it's two, it's two six-month cycles. So the first cycle is really learning just the fundamentals of programming in that, in that area that you're working in. And the next six months is a project where you actually go and you apply those skills. It's just a safe place for women to learn, network, and create. And so a lot of times, if you go to a user group, and Coder Girl started off as a meetup. So it's just like a place you can come, hang out, learn how to code, and then, you So know, an unofficial, more of an unofficial, yeah. not an actual training program. Right. Okay. That was the history. I was like, if you want to get a job, um, we can help you do that. But we also just want this to be a space for you. We realized that we really needed to add some structure around it when we found out that 85% of the women in the program or coming to the meetups actually wanted to pivot into careers in tech. <laughs> so we wanted to kind of meet that need. So Coder Girl really just serves as a safe space for people to get, get started. A lot of times, like, as I was saying, when you go to a user group, it's primarily male, primarily white, primarily experts, right? And so... A little intimidating. Yeah, and I think women often want to be the smartest person in the room and are used to doing that, right? They're used to being the most qualified person in the room, even if no one recognizes that. Um, and so when you go into the room, you've got all these sort of like things piled on top of you, your identity and your lack of experience, it can just be like really discouraging and you just don't want to do it. So I like to say the Coder Girl 
allows you to kind of just come in right away and like all of those barriers that are generally there in a lot of tech spaces just are not there anymore. Have you found it easy to find people in the field that are interested in helping Coder Girl? Yeah, surprisingly enough, we have 30 amazingly committed mentors who come every week and I just shower them with my love and adoration, <laughs> pay them in hugs and smiles. So they are, it's on a volunteer it's, basis. They're volunteers um, and they want to give their time. A while ago we talked about pay for for mentors and a lot of them were just like I don't want to be paid for this I want to just give my time I don't want another job this is my volunteer work <laughs> I want to give my time so yeah we have 30 volunteer mentors who are here basically every week I would imagine with 30 of them that you get a good collective intelligence there that yes can, definitely an easy transfer of knowledge if someone doesn't know something obviously yeah Hopefully you can someone point to someone would. across yeah, the room <laughs> with 30 people that would be fairly easy so tell us about yourself because I know before the interview, you kind of told me that you didn't really come from a tech environment. Yeah. So you came from more of an educational background, is that Education correct? Education and, uh, and, and biosciences. I, yeah, I studied nutritional sciences in undergrad, so I had a biomedical and molecular nutrition. That's what the wow. specialization is. Right. I guess they call, it, they call it that now. I had a study abroad experience in South Africa for the organization we had worked with at school for many years. And I just was able to see, like, directly how education impacts people's outcomes and their health sure. in the future. Yeah. And um, so I figured that was the best way to do it. So I applied to Teach for America. Um, oh, nice. So I okay. came to St. Louis because of Teach for America, and I taught here for four years um, teaching middle school math. I wanted to kind of pull on some other strengths that I had, and mm-hmm. one of those was creativity. I started always had this push-pull between, am I going to be a scientist or an artist? And I just sort of heard along the way that coding allows you to do both. Right. And so I decided to show up at the Ruby meetup. And so what is the Ruby meetup? So Ruby, what was the Ruby yeah, meetup? so SCR Ruby, it's a meetup here in St. Louis to, to focus on Ruby. It's people who write Ruby code. Gotcha. Yeah, um, and I didn't know that. So I looked on meetup.com and found SCR Ruby, and I was like, that's a cool sticker. I like that. I'm a cancer, so Ruby's my gemstone. I'm going to show up. Um, nice. Yeah, and I was there for maybe like, 20 minutes and then realized that Ruby's a programming language. <laughs> so that's how little I knew before I walked into that environment. That's how I found out about Launch Code. Um, and then I heard about Coder Girl starting up. And so uh-huh. I got involved with the program once it started, you know, got on a mailing list and showed up to the first meeting. There were hundreds of women there. And I did that program for 20, you know, for the whole of 2014 at the end of that year. Long story short, that's how I got involved in it. So I kind of hopped from a lot of different things into this. Is there a disconnect at the school level with girls and STEM, you know, education at that level? Or is it most more social or is it a combined? I think it's thing? very social. I actually feel like in my school we had a robotics program. Um, it was after school, which is kind of unfortunate. It wasn't right. part of the school day. But there were girls who were interested in that program too. I think in some contexts the social pieces really, really makes it hard for girls to get into it because it's like, oh, you don't want to be like the nerdy girl or you don't want to be the – the weird geek that, like, I don't know, doesn't shower. You know, like the right, silly right. sort of... the stereotypes. The stereotypes of what we see in the media as to person. what a tech person is. Sure. But but I think our kids are actually very excited to, to just do new things, right. something. Sure. Um, and I think where the disconnect comes, too, is, like, us having enough knowledge, our educators and our school districts and, and leaders having enough context and understanding of what tech is and what tech literacy actually is to provide meaningful experiences for students. If I knew what I know now about programming, my math class would have been vastly different. You know, the way you taught math. Yeah, there would have okay. been. I would have always been drawing connections from 
computer science or just context. And I tried that, but I think computer science could have really lit up some specific students. So what has been the response overall from the outside of Launch Code, the employers and the community? Has it been fairly positive? I would think it would be. but No, yeah. I mean, it's been incredibly positive. Um, our company partners have been really instrumental in just making Launch Code happen, not just with hiring launch coders, which is a really important piece, but just giving their time, mentors, volunteers, TAs, um, giving their money. So, like, you know, advocating for us when we apply for, you know, grants and, and foundations to say, like, hey, this organization is doing great work and we're involved in it in a, in a variety of ways. Um, so we've definitely gotten a positive response from our community, especially our, uh, our, our uh, company partners. And have there been success stories out of this program? Oh, yeah. I mean, there's, there's tons of them. Um, I mean... I kind of like to joke that, like, our launch coders already have the juice. They already have the talent and the ability. It's just giving people an opportunity. And really, like, I like to call myself a strengths finder. So, like, just, like, actually affirming people and being, like, when they're in this environment, there's, there's a support to say, like, no, you can actually do this. And, right. I can, and I know you can do this because of these reasons. So how much of a factor is the positive reinforcement that you guys provide in the staff? I think especially in the context of Coder Girl is everything. Women are constantly being told about what they cannot do. So many things come up against women in the professional workplaces, and I think having this space and then being able to tell someone, like, you can actually do this is really, really important. Even myself, I like mm-hmm. to call myself a developing developer. Like, I'm not there all the way. Right. People think I know everything about each second coder, sure. and I definitely do not. <laughs> um, but just having the example of the mentors, but also the coder girls, like, coming in from not knowing anything to being able to do it now is really inspirational for me. So what was that what does that mean for someone sitting in the you know in the midst of that program and seeing all that activity? So what's the future of Coder Girl? What's the future? What we really want to do is expand impact. So my next step or what I see for the future is like this army of women in tech. Yeah. We do want to expand to at least one of our um, uh, launch code markets in this year. And where are those other markets right now? Oh, so the other markets, is, so there we have a hub in uh, South Florida, so Miami, okay. um, Providence, Rhode Island, uh, Kansas City, Missouri, right you know, right down the down the street, <laughs> um, and then we have Portland in Seattle, which just just opened up too. So and how has the reception been? How long have those facilities been open? It just it just opened this year. So oh, okay. Seattle, cool. Portland just opened this year, um, but the response has been good overall. What would be your advice to someone who isn't quite ready to make that move yet just do it just just move in a direction and start it getting in the community was the most important piece i am talking to you right now because i just went to a meetup so we do this thing now i call it like it's like when a coder gets a job she sends me her power song and we play it and we dance and she comes and talks about her experience and um diana a coder girl just got a job and she talked about it she was just like just discussed her experience. Like I, she walked in here and was like, "I want to be a data scientist," and I was like, "I don't know what that is. <laughs> like, I don't know how to help guide you in doing that." Um, but here's some Java and stuff that you can learn. And then I, you know, we eventually thought, "Okay, this is probably an area we want to add." So we did it. But um, and she really inspired that in a lot of ways. So she just sat down and started learning how to code, and she got a job as a data scientist now, and she managed that all on her own. And she talked about how. She decided she wanted to be a data scientist. She started taking classes with Coder Girl Launch Code, went to the data science meetup, didn't know anything that was happening, met Leslie McIntosh, who is like the the woman of 
data science queen of all time. And she helped lead her to get the skills she needs, put her in positions of, of power and influence to say, hey, you're going to run this panel and maybe you don't know a whole lot, but you are going to be instrumental in this. And, and now she has a job in the area that she declared last year. Just walked in and said, I'm doing this. If we have some people out there that want to get in touch with their coder girl uh, or launch code facility, what would be the best way to go about that? Best way to do it, we are on, so we have a website, it's launchcode.org, um, and then if you want to access Coder Girl, it's launchcode.org slash Coder Girl, and Coder Girl is also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram as at launchcodergirl. Because we also have programming outside of just the, the classes, we have speaker series events and workshops to center around professional development, empowerment, technical talks, and things like that, so there's a lot of ways you can get engaged. I can't imagine you won't continue your success given the way things have been rolling out and the rollout to other markets seems to be successful as well. So we wish you all the best, and I think it's awesome what you're doing and the area that you're doing it in. So thank you very much for talking to us. Thank you. All right, so this next scene, they are in the gala. So I think the big, really big thing in this scene, other than kind of the optics of the handmaids coming in and sitting down and taking all their stuff off is Serena, Mrs. Waterford, out here in her now satin ball gown of, this is more green than it is turquoise? It's the teal family. Also the lighting, and she's in a like yellow environment. And we get a flashback to her scene where she is supposed to be talking to the brothers of Jacob, and Fred comes out, meekly, I might add, and kindly tells her, he won't let you talk. He has his sad eyes on. He does right? have sad so red eyes Mr. On. Potato had sad eyes. <laughs> That's what we need. For those of you creative people out there, I've seen a lot of things on the Facebook of creative um, Handmaid's Tale items. We need a Mr. Potato Head and Mrs. Potato Head <laughs> yep, version somebody get of on that. Fred, Fred Waterford and Serena Waterford. That would be amazing. So yeah, this is the part we talked about earlier where Bro comes out from... Uh, the meeting of the brothers of Jacob and says, because poor Serena can't talk, you know, oh, it's because we gave them too much freedom and let them have their academic pursuits and now they expect that and we're not going to let that happen again, gosh darn it. How do we feel about this scene? My this mouth was hanging open. A half a step not away surprised, but the, from conversations I have been involved in. Yep. Really? Oh, yes. oh yeah. As yeah. someone who has, like, let's say... Well, you know say, there's somebody out there that's thinking this. And there's several advanced of, degrees. There's a lot of people out there that feel this way. Yes. Uh, conversations I've had about dating. Well, if you you, know, if you didn't insist on getting a PhD, you know you know, guys want to date one degree down. So you've narrowed the pool okay. for yourself. Wait a minute. Oh, I've had this conversation on multiple occasions. Yes. That, that men don't want to date women that have, have, that have more degrees, one more than, degree them? than they do. So Man. you should have thought of that before you entered your doctoral program because, you know, that's going to that's gonna turn a lot of men away. Yeah. I don't even know where to start with that. Because the... you're, so, you're too smart. I know. How dare it's you be smart? Obviously. It's intimidating. Obviously, that's your problem. You should fix that. Yeah. Right, so we really... cut back to the gala. Now, I don't know because everyone is surprised, clearly, that Serena Joy gets up and talks. Yes. She does not seem surprised, because clearly that's what she was planning in the hallway, because she's flashing back to that moment where she didn't get to talk, and gosh darn it, she is going to get to talk this time. No, that no is not what that's it. about. Why? It's because she is a master planner, and everybody else sucks in comparison, and she knows how to make this Oh, I'm not, no, I'm not arguing that she point. She knows how to win it over. I'm not arguing that point at all, but they did flash back I'm to the scene where she didn't get to talk, and so now this is her opportunity 
in front of a much, lar- a much larger contingent, I might add, to finally get her chance to speak. This just starts to become like handmade torture. Yeah. This it is handmade Not only do you torture. have to be here while we show you all these things that you can't have anymore, and we're going to fake recognize you, and then we're going to bring out your children that you can't have anymore. that aren't yours anymore. Yeah. It just is like one dig after another. And is anybody else... Did anybody else notice that none of the children seem to think anything of that? Like, oh, the children yeah. seem thrilled yeah. with life. Oh yeah, because like, the know? children are just like so happy to be there. They're like, "Hey, this is really fun. We got to get all dressed up, and now we get to run out there and play. Great!" But, and like their biological mothers are all standing there watching them with their hearts breaking open on the table. And you know, those kids don't even know. Well, they don't know. That's the whole point. That's why right? they're so happy. So well, they are the end all be all for the this entire thing being so you would think that they would be taken uh, probably better care of than anyone else in gilead you would think that the children have it the best out of everybody well at least the boys do yeah that's that's interesting do they touch on that in the book like how the girls girls of i don't remember you see that flash earlier where there she's out walking with her partner i think this is with the original of glenn Mm -hmm. and they pass the girls at the school and it clearly it's a segregated school because it's just girls and they're walking out and they're wearing little pink dresses and i thought about it a lot then like are they why are they are they segregated in school what no keep talking they would have to be because the boys were reading and the girls aren't. So. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. Like, I, w- I was trying to figure out why they would be seg- segregated so young. But, yeah, that totally makes sense because they're really educating the boys. Right. She does in the book have this reflection on uh, realizing at what age the children won't have known the difference. All right. And right. they grown up knowing that this is the way things are mm, versus right. the way things are now. Just like Janine said in the beginning, once you get used to things yeah. being a certain way, like, it's... That's just your well, there's several mentions of that in this show. I forget if it's Aunt Lydia or someone in one of the earlier episodes says ordinary is just what you're used to. Yeah, I think it's Aunt Lydia. Kind of hammering that home yeah, a little that bit. That theme in this so, show. So these outfits on the boys look very Hitler youth to me. I'd like <laughs> no, to I, thought that, I thought that about the commanders with their fancy outfits. It felt very... Um, I, I don't know what the, what the word I'm Let looking for. Let me know if I'm wrong. The it's, higher ups, like the Gestapo. Oh wait, what are the higher ups called in the Nazis? The Nazis, the SS were like yeah, the, yeah, the brown yeah. shirts or the yeah. I was just having flashes over to uh, Man in the High Castle. Yeah, so this, the, the Mexican ambassador this the in this scene is very she. It's she, over. Like the trade is happening. Yep. Like it's all over. It's all she sees the kids. Do. Her heart melts, and she's like, "Yeah, anything could happen at this point, and the trade is absolutely going through." She's elated. I mean, it's she's probably hasn't seen children, children in, years. in years. If no, if no children have been born in her area in six years, that's wow. And so this is the point where we cut back to the table, and she's talking to like this other handmaid just randomly also, starts talking to her. This seems bold. I don't know that that yeah, would really go down. I mean, at oh, this point, well, the children the ants are the oh, ants are always true. paying attention. But the children are out, so everybody's like, ah. it's, it's probably noisy, too. True. Yeah, I, I would figure this is safe. I didn't have as much issue with this as this I did is not making out in the hallway. hallway. Yeah. And so this, the quietest is a, house. this is the point where the handmaid, the other handmaid, I don't know who of she is, um, is in kind of inquiring about what Offred has learned from the commander. I was waiting for a Mayday said. reference, and then we didn't and get she, one. Yeah, she did not say Mayday, which we've known as the preferred uh, greeting. And at this point, she says that it doesn't really matter because the only thing that Gilead has to trade is red tags, which 
the audience is supposed to wonder what that is, but I think it's fairly clear to everyone, and they do hammer it home later, uh, that they are going to trade handmaids, because that's all we have, are women that can produce children, which is why this is such a huge deal that the children are being paraded in front of the Mexican ambassador, who is clearly... And Serena joins this moment of both pride and envy, right? Where I think there's some conflict in her because she's watching all these children, but none of them are hers. So she's led this, but doesn't get to have the same joy in it that other people do. So, okay, so this is supposed to be when they she's are... still thinking it's not going to be that bad. Transition to be when power. they're first moving into the house and after... Gilead Manor. Yeah. Okay. Well, that makes more sense then. All her blue yeah. dresses in the box. Now, do we, I don't know if we've talked about this, but the Uniforms. symbolism of the blue, have we talked about why their color is blue? not. No. I did read something... A number of weeks ago, I just never brought it up about how the blue is for the Virgin Mary because the oh, Virgin Mary is, that is the symbol for the wives, which is why the blue is their symbol. So, there was an interview video that I posted on Twitter, I believe, the other day about from the costume designer who did all the costumes for Handmaid's Tale, and she was talking about how she wanted the red. Well, the red is obviously I mean, the red's already the color, but she wanted to make it look like as much like blood mm-hmm. as possible. That that was what the symbolism was there. When we first had the scene where her and Moira escape from the Red Center, they are showing the rest of the city where they're taking everything out of the buildings. And so I guess we're supposed to think that this is them having taken over. They get, Again, you know, the honor. I guess they get the run of their house, whatever house they want. So they're just going in and taking all the things out of the house. Yeah, I was wondering about that. Do they get to pick like the swinkiest house? Like, you if, would you're, think. if you're a high up commander, do you just get to go like? Is it like the Nazis? Where I was just going to say that scene, the Jews' houses in Schindler's List, I mean, where the so. guys like you know, and the, the the Hasidic and the Orthodox Jews are together in that like one room, basically, and then like Schindler's like ah, it's like cut back and forth. That's like kind of like this, except they don't show what happens to everybody else. They just do get to roll up into this place. Yeah, the picking of the house. I'm, I feel like there needs to be a like a, a Fear the Walking Dead esque type show that is from the point of view of them taking over and what they I had would to really do to take over. That would be kind of cool. Super interested in seeing a show about the war and taking over about how that happened. It'd be interesting to see if they do any of that. Like from the movie, forward. from the movie theater scene on. Right. Would be really interesting. The simultaneous yeah. separate attacks? Yeah. I think that's how we're referring to it. <laughs> separate attacks happening simultaneously. Have to. Gotcha. I don't remember what happens in this scene. Oh, he's giving her credit. And he's telling her that he remembered that she was, he was reminded that she was brilliant. Oh, he said, you're amazing, but sometimes I forget. Is yeah, that the so, scene? And now yeah, I'm going to be forgetting scene. a lot more, as yeah. it always yeah. yeah, so this scene, they are... I did feel really happy that she was going to get some, though. Yeah, yeah they're, they're finally alone. For her. I was it, like, oh, girl, yeah, They're finally get alone in the, in the house, and they're kind of getting their first post-takeover, and they finally moved into the house, mostly. Mm-mm. No? This is after the gala. This he's, is? he's wearing the fancy oh, outfit from the gala. Me up. This is right after the gala. I know right. it's she, hard. She gets sex for doing good with the with the Mexican delegation situation. Here. As they're getting into it, he says maybe we shouldn't or yeah, something he says like we that. Should we should stop. We should stop. And yeah, I noticed that, that she like paused and then just kept going. I was like, yeah. Uh, why that's right. is, is it like a preserving your juices kind of fertility I thing? No, I was sure that was extra cruelty for the wives. I don't know. Is it just supposed to be for procreation at this point? Because we're well, sure if ceremonies coming up. Wouldn't they have up. always thought it was supposed to be just for procreation? They're conservative Christians. 
Right. So, like, once they found out that she was Yeah, we've talked about that fertile. before, about how yeah. we don't know. Like, we, we don't, don't know. know if they're allowed to have sex or not. They haven't really alluded to it. It seems like not if he's trying to right. get them to stop. I because... think if ceremony day is in a couple days, then, like, he's supposed to be just, like, holding up. And yeah, and I loaded. firmly believe that if Serena Joy was still having sex regularly, she would not be as horrible of a person. <laughs> she wouldn't have to smoke as much, wouldn't they? No That's shit. Terrible. She wouldn't be as terrible to the handmaids. <laughs> It's for real. Come on, she would be a much no. ha- she would be a much more pleasant individual. I agree. And there's a, a subtle little thing here where she's also on top. I know. Mm-hmm. I saw that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Good call. I made a note. Yes. And they're not quoting Bible stuff at each other. This yeah, time. I noticed that they didn't pray beforehand. I guess I guess you give that up when you know there's no chance of a baby. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Well, I think you've sort of accomplished everything that you were praying for. So. That's true. That's true. <laughs> Check. That's Check. True. To go over an empire. We can let Check. that go now. We got the, you know, if you're going to celebrate for anything, you would well, think. Well, they, they still do the Bible reading before the ritual rape every month. But that's like a state-sanctioned thing, right? Like, this is how the state yeah, says that we're going to have, you know, the, the ceremony. The Gilead <laughs> process manual. That's uh, how it's done. Is there still in the mail? Why haven't we seen this yet? Yeah, I don't know. We need one. I wish somebody would put one out that says what all the rules are. That would be a are. great uh, marketing suggestion. Sell copies of that. We are into the next... God. Yeah, he's worthless Nick at this Nick. point. Ugh, uh, we're doing the ne- next worthless Nick scene. So she, again, I don't know how much I believe that this happened. If she, unless she's just now making regular visits just to Nick's wandering Nick's around. Yeah, night. it does seem like she just walked in kind of noisily. Right. And I'm like, oh. Well, in the book, if you'll remember how she segues into that, she's like, she says something like, and what happened after this is just kind of how I did it, and I stopped caring as much, and I had a regular affair with oh, Nick. Yeah, they right. don't really explain in the book, yeah. it's just like, and they're just like, Then I done. freaked out about being traded to Mexico. <laughs> well, yeah. And you know, there is a scene in the book where they talk about how tourists come to Gilead, and one Japanese. Oh, yeah. 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 And they yeah, want to, like, is. take their picture, like the Amish. Right, and yes. at one point they yeah. do ask, like, sometimes they approach the handmaids and ask yeah. them questions like mm-hmm. that, so I thought that's maybe where they got this spark of the idea. Right, yeah. yeah because yeah. there's the not a Mexican ambassador trade situation in the book, right? No. No, no. Yeah, so they do kind of... They do talk about the potential of trade with other countries, I think, like, in passing... I don't remember. I don't know. But I do remember that scene where they do talk about the tourists coming in and they ask them questions and they have to be very careful about how they answer the questions because all the men are around yeah. with the guns. And so yeah. I guess that's kind and of like how they being... inserted, inserted that part of the story into and here. And it's very North Korea. Like, they're being escorted around. They're not allowed to just, like, wander freely and right. ask anybody anything they want. They have, like eyes i guess going with them or uh, the tourists themselves yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Right. the tourists right. are are chaperoned. they're yeah. chaperoned the whole time well in the book they're taking pictures right like yeah yeah and like they're dressed normally which kind of freaks out offred in the book a little bit and i thought that was really interesting yeah, so how very... she's just like it seems so i guess uncouth now because she's used to it you know right Normal like when is she, what you're used to right when she sees the women in the magazines and they seem almost yes. like garish to her yeah. because she hasn't seen like makeup or something like yeah. that kind of makeup. in this episode i i noticed as soon as we started seeing flashbacks of um serena joy i had a moment of realization like wow she is just that gorgeous that like i'm just noticing that she doesn't wear makeup Oh, that's I a good know. The character of Serena jo- does not wear makeup because Do when she has the flashback, she's suddenly wearing makeup, and I was like, "Whoa!" Yeah, she's and she's then beautiful. I had that moment of, "Damn, why did they have to cast such a beautiful woman in I that know. role? Because she is so gorgeous. I didn't notice that right. she is not wearing makeup in the bathtub scene too. Is that um, 
her friends has shaved her legs. I noticed that. Which too. I, was I was like, like that come is on, the continuity no way thing. She that get there's a no way they're giving her a razor, and it's in oh, the book where she talks about how weird it is to adjust to yeah. having hair. Um, and so I thought that was a. They could have just come on. Yeah, you can't show that. Hairy. Hairy. I know. No, our eyes would peel out of our heads no. if we saw leg hair. On Are you saying Elizabeth Moss was not dedicated enough to just draw her leg hair during the? I doubt it was the taping of this show. I think that would have been the right thing to do. Who is in charge? Is that the costume you wanna, people who you are wanna, in charge of? You want to make some body hair some followers on Instagram. You have an entire Instagram dedicated to your leg hair growth throughout the taping of The Handmaid's <laughs> there Tale. There you go. I think that would that would sell for a variety mm-hmm. of reasons. Yeah, I mean, I I know women right now that don't shave. Like, oh, this so thing, do I. And like, it seems like such a small thing to do. It really bothered me that they didn't bother to do it for the show. Like, that's such a tiny thing. I well, think not Elizabeth like it would Moss be horrible for the actress. Come on, deal with the you know with people noticing out in public. But she could say it was for a role. She could have just worn pants. Totally pull it off. Or long dresses. Did you make them? Yeah, she could. She could have just not showed her legs for like yeah. two weeks. So she would have done that. Nobody would have noticed. So regardless, we have this scene with her and worthless Nick, and I don't know what else to call him. I, I know you're really committed to, to make us understand it. what he is. He like, solidifies it in this scene for sure. And he so is, she comes an in for other people to have dialogue. She's angry at herself because she told the Mexican contingent that she was happy and she's going on and on about it and he refers to her as Offred and she's quick to tell him that is not my name. Don't call me that. Don't call me that. And he doesn't know what her name is. And I, does he ask her, like, he what is your name? He doesn't no. ask. He doesn't no. ask. Because he's no. a tool. He I was, doesn't ask. Uh, and he, it's this awkward silence, and he stares at her, and she goes, It's, it's June. June. And we're all just Don't like, ask. Ugh. Every woman watching the show goes, Dick. <laughs> and so I think this is kind of the moment we've kind of wanting to been, as people watching the show, that we've kind of been waiting for her to have, like, just completely lose it about the things that she's had to do and i mean yeah but it's it's even like this is even restrained like she is only freaking out about this one thing that just happened that day and how she it it struck her that like she maybe could have she still thinks at this point had an impact and she didn't do it She's not even freaking out about the entire situation of the world being completely fucked up her her freak out is even very restrained and limited it's true so so then he finally says, nice, nice to, to meet you, Alfred. And I don't know if that was supposed to redeem Nick a little, if oh, you were supposed to didn't, melt. It didn't. But I was didn't like, no, it. you messed that up. Yeah, I still, until this episode, still had hope that they would make him an interesting character, and I've given up. Yeah, you I should. Gave up. You yeah, should. This house is gorgeous. Can I just I say this know. whole garden breakfast like atrium area. thing? Like, whatever this is. Yeah, like a horticulture. So still at this point... Everywhere. Having watched, if you're watching the show normally, you're still thinking that maybe, maybe there's a chance that the Mexican <laughs> ambassador really does care. Uh, also, and it kind of goes all out the window with this last scene. Zero where, chance that they would leave her alone with them. I, I thought so too. Yeah, no, I don't either. I, she does for say that we were, we're early when she, when they walk in. She says, yes. "Oh, sorry, we're a little bit early." And so like, like no that rush. kind of explains it a little bit. But I saw yeah. them being alone for like. 35 right. seconds, this but not long this time. long, long drawn-out thing. By the way, second time this episode that a woman is uh, placated with dessert. 
Okay. Oh, good call. Because Janine, oh, yeah. Janine, when they make her go to desserts. the... A, oh, a tray full a tray full of desserts, says Aunt Lydia. Where's my tray full of desserts? I would like a tray full of desserts. <laughs> I had a Handmaid's Tale nightmare Let's last see. night. I'm, <laughs> try, I'm trying to make this point about how the stereotypical thing buy women with desserts, and here we go. Everybody wants desserts. <laughs> I fit the stereotype. No, I don't it's not desserts. a woman thing. Fine. All no. people want desserts, except for Tiana, but no. everybody else want wants desserts. desserts, okay? Not men or women, all people. Except, except I, just, I just want beer. I don't want desserts. Just give me the beer. All right. A, a heavy beer. I'll take Tiana's. A stout. Yeah, you can, <laughs> you can have my dessert and I'll take your beer. We'll split it. Through right, days. I was going to we'll say, we'll be great. We'll do a trade. So, yeah, we're hoping in this scene that the Mexican ambassador is going to do something. And this is the point where I was watching this and I'm going, are they pulling a fight club on me? Where right. This, where this isn't happening. Right. right. All right, so about midway through this scene, you kind of you finally learned that it really doesn't matter, Offred, what you have to tell me or how awful your situation is because, again, nothing else matters except for the children and the having of them and the fact that her city has not had any in six years. And I don't so, think it's even her city. I think it's like her state. Is it the state? Yeah. Okay, well, we don't know because they yeah, rename she, everything. And, uh, do, well, yeah. and, and it's Mexico, so maybe Mexico's the same? I don't know. We don't really know. They don't really give us a uh, what else happens to the other countries. Like, have all the other countries gone to a new form of government? Well, I also am thinking in this scene about the times that that this is very real to our situation. That I'm sure that our ambassadors and our other dignitaries meet people who tell them horrible stories about the lives that they're living. And all we can do is say, sorry, that's not part of what I'm doing right now. Um, go back to your famine or go back to your war-torn situation or go back to your sexual slavery. Right. Uh, we're we're going to, we're going to propose a bill in our Congress about it. And then in several years that will peter out and nothing will happen. So this isn't so far, I think from our reality. So at this point we've learned, yes, that it doesn't matter. We're going to trade the handmaids for whatever Mexico is offering, which they never really do say. She goes, what is it? Fucking chocolate. <laughs> something like that. <laughs> like, what am I being traded for? Yeah. Like, the, just... just the insult of being traded in the first place. And then, to, uh, is it worse knowing what you're going to be traded for? Just that's insult I wouldn't want to know. Because you're an object at that point anyway, right? Yeah. So. Well, what would redeem it even vaguely, Nothing. you know? Oranges? Nothing would redeem it. Right. Bars no. of gold. Yeah. Oh. So, Kittens. Also, we haven't talked about, um, I don't know her name, the actress from, uh, that's playing the Mexican delegate. Um, but oh. she's awesome. Yeah, she's really I've good. Seen her in other things. She is always awesome. Can really command a room, and it makes perfect sense connecting back to the child scene. How happy she was. Just... Yeah. So when the commander walks in on them talking in the beautiful atrium, um, I can't believe it's not more awkward. What the hell? Cause she's she's like clearly crying and like having, she's going through something emotional, which really obviously would say to me like, whoa, they were just Your talking, some heavy, just talking some heavy shit. <laughs> and he either doesn't notice or is confident enough that it's not going to change anything that he doesn't care. But like still, wouldn't he be wanting to like punish her or something? Because surely she's not allowed to do that. Um, and none of that happens. I was oh, very and then confused. She immediately gets left alone with this guy. Right. Which would never have happened the if assistant? she was caught crying with the Mexican dignitary. Right. Like leave her alone with a strange man from another country that doesn't yeah, conform to our rules. I don't think so. I right? didn't know if he didn't react to the way she was 
you know, the way she was crying because he wanted to play it off like, oh, nothing, you know, mm-hmm. nothing to see here. Mm-hmm. Not going to even acknowledge it because if I acknowledge it, then it makes it even weirder. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I didn't know. And then, yeah, they do. Again. Well, but then oh. he offers to help. So, like, clearly what she said did have an impact on him. He offers maybe to help, maybe to sabotage her. We don't know. Yeah, so then Contact this, her husband. Some really specific information he's The end of this scene, she says, I want to help you. The other uh, man, I don't know what his name is. Uh, they don't ever say his name. Who is with the ambassador? And he says, "I want to help you in your situation. I can get a message to your husband." To which everyone is like, "Oh, we thought he was dead." Yeah, uh, including but her. They conspicuously, never let us. Right, see. they knew never let us see. There's only gunshot sounds, which could mean a lot of things. Could have faked it. Could have just you know winged him, or you know taken off. Maimed him. You know, you, maimed know. Him. you know they like to do that. Some big fans of that in Gilead. And he's like, no, and he gives her the information, her name of her husband and where he was born, I think. And what year he was born, yes. which also I found really striking because there are age. My yes. year of birth. Really now. Yeah, yes. in 1980. Yeah, right? it's, it was? yeah, it's my husband's year of birth. And I was like, oh, God, like that really could be us. Yes. I was playing in my mind trying to figure out, okay, so he's the, he's the assistant to the ambassador. So is he part of Mayday? And he then goes to another country to try to infiltrate through that. Like, well, how is he getting all this information? That's a good yeah. point. He, you would think he has to be if he knows that her husband is alive. Certainly. And knows her name and all unless, of Yeah, is prepared unless. with her name, his name, his birth date to be able to prove it. And knows which handmaid is associated with which yeah. commander. Yeah, so it'll be interesting to see if they forward, move forward with... Obviously, they'll have to. Because they're throwing that out there now that Luke is alive and... He's going to get some information to her, so we're going to have to continue yeah. with the message really contingents and know why he knows that and where Luke's at and what even all that means. So a lot of interesting angles to go with here. Maybe we'll get to see what's happening in Mexico. Maybe we'll get the, a little visit to Mexico to see what is going on. And if it's, like we said, we don't really know if they have are making the Gilead transition. Like, is this what everyone's going to, they're trying to model all future societies of Gilead because Whoa. it seems to have worked so well for them. I don't think I could Perfect. take that in future seasons. I hope not. Well, their only measure of success was, are there children? Yeah. Great. Yeah, babies. Winners. Let's model it. I don't know. Yeah, I, I thought, I forget who made the point of like, maybe Serena Joy is hoping for, we get past this terrible part and we finally mm-hmm. repopulate the earth. And then I can write another book. And then he cares about my ideas again and right. yeah, wants to hear yeah. my thoughts. So it was that kinda... would be a lot of lying to herself again. Mm-hmm. Yes, she does do a lot of that. But it was nice to see her backstory finally, kind of getting a lot of information about her angle and her yeah. character and his character and kind of seeing him kind of as this formerly spineless guy where she had all the power and was kind of driving the relationship. Well, and, and formerly somewhat moral. Well, yeah. And, and, I, would, I yeah. mean, you know... Clearly, I wouldn't agree with him on 99.9% of things, but at least he, you know, respected his wife and thought that she was, she had just as much to contribute as anybody else. He encouraged her with her second book. And like, he, I know this seems obvious to us, but like, he seemed slightly happier too. Like, he actually seemed seemed happy, like in this new world where he's got all this power control that everyone's supposed to covet. He's miserable. He's stressed out. He's haggard. And he's... Weird. I found watching the two of them in the flashbacks, I kept thinking of in the book, Alfred often references like, I didn't know I was happy. We were too busy. We thought we had such problems. And she references that like several times throughout the book. We thought we had problems. We thought things were so bad and difficult, but we were happy and we just didn't know it. And that's definitely what I was thinking about. Well, you had it. The Waterfords. It's a great utilitarian argument, right? At At what point do we say 
we're trying to make things better, but like it won't be for everybody, but it'll be better for more people than it is now. And and do we do that now? Well, one thing I was thinking about watching this episode and also the one the um the one where you find out what happened to Alfred. Um, I was thinking about how I had read at some point that Margaret Atwood said that she didn't put one of the rules she made for herself when she was writing the book in 1984 was to not put anything in the book that didn't already happen right. somewhere in the world. Mm-hmm. Yep. And or in history, how horrifying it yeah. is for us as extremely privileged individuals to watch this and have it look and feel and sound like our society, like on crack, and that this is reality for people in other parts of the world and even here sometimes. And it's sickening to think about, but it's also a really rude awakening to w- what kind of privilege we have. Well, and that was a part of the Holocaust, but like in the memoir I totally teach, should leave it in. Uh, in the oh. memoir I teach, there's this part where it was like, like we had somewhat modern technology during the, in the thirties and forties. And so like whenever Ellie's family ends up going to the ghettos or maybe the, the camps itself, everyone was like, but we have radios, we have modern, modern means of communication. Like, how do we not know about this? And like the Jews that met them at the camp were so upset that they hadn't found out about it and that they had gone there. And like, there was all of this, like, this can't happen in modern times. This is 1938 or 41 or whatever. Like, and that was the whole thing about the Holocaust is like, how could this happen in modern society? Like, yeah, sure. In the 500 BC or whatever, like yeah, yeah before there was Modern electronic means of communication, right? But yeah. now, like, how could this have happened to this scale in this time period? Yeah, it'd be interesting because to see people if they, like to look the other way. It'd be interesting yeah. to see if they flush that out at all. I mean, I think they're gonna have to to show like the actual attacks and how they happened and how they did the actual logistics of the takeover yeah. and the media aspect of it you know because we've got so uh, much yeah. happening in our media right now with fake news and yeah. everything and it must have been like well and gilead came over and took control of the media and told the narrative and that's what everybody did and our government's well, already they, trying to take exactly right. probably yeah, that's much, like they, did, right now. much so, like they did the doctors they probably rounded up the oh gosh, journalists yeah, and anyone who worked for any media outlet that didn't serve on their the purposes wall. put them on the wall Clean up the blood later. I made the mistake of reading the comments section of an article about no, The Handmaid's Tale don't do that. and how real it could be, and all because the article itself is like, this is how The Handmaid's Tale could actually really happen to us now, and like it's scary and it freaks me out, and that's why I clicked on it originally. And the article itself was good, and the comments section was like, as you're typing this from your iPhone, and there were all these like ridiculous arguments about how that could never happen to us and the comment section is where oh, society God. goes yeah, to die. Yeah, I I really have a hard time with people who try to argue that this could never happen. It could because they say like happen. one of, one of the arguments was as you're typing this from your iPhone as though if you own an iPhone you're bad immune. things can't happen to you or yeah. something like, I don't know that like, your that your that your privilege might make you immune it makes what it makes you immune to is reality right and that is how this stuff happens and, well, and a lot of, uh, I've seen a lot and I think it's a conversation to maybe tease for next week because this later we're in the show over. we're way over yeah but there is a lot of people wanting. People to talk about the fact that in certain areas of the planet, this is how it is. This is how it is for for women. Yeah, and I think that is a big conversation to have because there's a lot of debate about whether we're ignoring that and not talking about it because we are only addressing uh, from the viewpoint of the white female mm-hmm. feminism, like Rhea was saying mm-hmm. earlier, and that we're not addressing the fact that in certain other countries. Terrible things like this do happen to women, but 
Yeah. So I would like to have that conversation. about whether or not people are aware and not talking about it or whether they A couple things that I've seen is mostly been people pointing out the fact that some of the things are happening in certain countries that have these laws. Right. All the things are happening somewhere. And that... Do we only care when it looks like it's happening? Right. And yes, that now, people now people care. are watching this show where these <laughs> things are happening because it. they are happening to uh, majority white women. And now all of a sudden it's like, oh my God, this could happen. How terrible is this when it's I the reality for certain people in other places? Show. So I, I would like for us to try and discuss that next week because I think that's a thing that people have been, it's been like the big, cir- one of the big circling issues of this show. Instead of looking around the world and going, oh, all these terrible things are happening. Why didn't we care before? Uh, so until next week, anybody got any final thoughts on this episode? I thought this episode ratcheted up the intensity a little more than the last two episodes. This, this one was one? more heartbreaking than some of the other ones have been. Yeah. I think this and the Auckland reveal. Yeah, I was going to say the Auckland really reveal was... like break you in half. That one was really horrible. But this one, I guess, was more of like a heartbreaking, like... Sorrowful. Yeah, this one I'm sure was much harder for everybody that has kids. I'm ready to go into the action of of concluding the series, mm-hmm. which I think episode seven will begin. Right, where are yeah. we going to peak, and Falling then where action. are we going to yeah. cliffhang or whatever they decide to do at the end of season one? Yeah, agreed. Like, so we will talk about it next week, uh, Sarah. No, are you going I'm to just return. Like, oh, are you going to come back? Can I come back? Of course. Come back! Woo! All right, so Sarah will be back for episode seven. And we will be back next week. We are Mayday the Handmaid's Tale podcast. Thanks for sticking around. Uh, you can find us on Twitter. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts. You can go to allconsumingcontent.com. And please, if you are uh, wherever you listen to us, give us a rating and a review if you are inclined to do so. And also, be on the lookout for the Slacker Radio station that we are launching. Oh, I already have launched one. Yes, when this airs, this. by the time this airs, it will have already been launched. It is called Handmaid's Resistance Radio. You can find it on Slacker Radio. You can download the app for free on the App Store and from the Google Play Store, or you can listen free online at slacker.com. So until next week, we are Made of the Handmaid's Tale podcast. Thanks for joining us. Have a good one. Thanks for listening to this edition of Mayday, the Handmaid's Tale podcast. You can find us on Twitter at at handmaidpodcast. You can find us on Instagram as well and on Facebook. On behalf of everyone here at the show, thanks and we'll see you next week.